Tonight, <laughs> evil dies tonight. Evil dies tonight. That's evil right. dies tonight. But Le- how could I forget the one <laughs> thing that made me laugh so much? <laughs> Halloween kills. <laughs> now in theaters and on Peacock. Uh, welcome to the New Flesh Podcast, a podcast about horror movies and all things tangentially related to horror and the horror lifestyle. Like living under a bridge, which is uh, what Jesse appears to be doing at all times. Uh, Long time listeners will note. <laughs> I actually just live in one, in, the, in one of those little hermit huts that, that Michael Myers goes to in Halloween 4, 5, I don't even remember. Um, so I'm being nursed back to health by a hermit and you can hear the trucks in the, in the distance. And then by the end of this episode, Jesse will be floating down a river and who knows where he will end up. Uh, But we're talking about Halloween Kills, the second entry in David Gordon Green's trilogy or his little triptych, whatever you want to call it, of Halloween films. David Gordon Green, the illustrious, the infamous... The man behind the sitter, the man behind your highness, the man behind <laughs> all your Pineapple favorites. Express. Uh, but also, of course, tons of great HBO shows with, with Danny McBride. But also, uh, if you go to the Criterion Closet, that's you can right. find some works from David Gordon Green in there. Definitely George Washington is in I think there. That's the only one of his that's, that's made the only it. one. It's made it to the collection. First time out. Total first album syndrome. I'm a huge fan of David Gordon Green, so I will also say he made Joe and uh, Undertow and Snow Angels. Tons of good movies. It seems like he made Mud, but he didn't. <laughs> I think he is friends with Jeff Nichols, though. I think he is. Yeah, it tracks that if you to- if you would have just if you tell someone that he directed Mud, I bet nine out of ten people would be like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sounds of course, of course he did. Uh, so Halloween Kills. Now in theaters and on Peacock, which I, I tweeted that it was hilariously hard to watch this for me because I I have the very, I guess, unique situation of watching these things. Uh, most of my apps are through a PlayStation 5 and an Xbox Series X, which is like new top of the line technology. And most streaming apps have great apps for those things. But Peacock, it just never works right. And when I finally do get it to work, if you pause it or fast forward it or rewind it or anything, it starts like stutter stepping and like frame by frame playing, even Uh, though the audio plays normally. So you really it's just a horrible experience. But apparently everyone else thinks it's great. So I guess I'm an asshole. (laughs) Um, No, I just that's that sucks. I've not sure I've not watched that many movies on Peacock because I got it to watch girls five ever and then just didn't cancel it. <laughs> yeah, there was, um, sh- I forget. There was a funny tweet making fun of like shutter, whatever they called their, their Halloween selections. And uh, then you go over to Peacock and their Halloween selections is like Peacock Tober picks, <laughs> which is super strange. Peacock- I like that. I like that. Peacock Tober. Peacock has always been and will always be a horrible name for a streaming service. <laughs> I understand that you're referencing your iconic logo that most people recognize, 
but it will never not sound like a 30 rock bit. And <laughs> it is okay. I, I wish that, uh, you know, they had CBS All Access that's now Paramount Plus. They should have just called it The Eye. I think that would have, I would have the signed eye. up for the hey, eye. You want, do you have the eye? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> there needs to be a goofy streaming service like that. Um, so Halloween Kills, very divisive already, divisive. D- the word divisive is divisive, I would say. Jesse's muted, but he's laughing really hard. I just wanted everybody to know. <laughs> yes, it's true. I did laugh at that. Um, I don't know if it's divisive or divisive, but the movie certainly is one of those things or both of those things. Um, it has a last I checked, it was a 50 on Rotten Tomatoes. And then I checked again and it was at 48. And then I checked again and it was at 47. And now it's at 45. It's so dropping. It be in a free fall. Um, I, I dutifully logged my sportsalcohol.com review in a vain attempt to, uh, <laughs> to get one more positive tomato on there, not to spoil our discussion. But, yeah, it's okay. Uh, Jesse definitely likes this movie more than me. Uh, I watched it again this morning on the Peacock, and I went up. I, I definitely went up on it a little. I went up like if you're talking letterbox scores, I went up half a half a star. I went from two stars to two and a half stars because I I read Jesse's review. I read plenty of other reviews, and. I've been, you know, marinating or classic <laughs> term or Lex G making fun of other people who yeah. use the term. I've been marinating on uh, just sitting in my Ziploc bag yeah. with Italian dressing, getting real pasty, <laughs> thinking about Halloween kills and uh, what I liked about it and what I didn't like about it. Um, and there's, I see both sides. I totally get the people panning this as a like, embarrassingly bad sequel to a movie that they thought was good, which I, I, I've i moved my opinion on that one, too. I don't really think the 2018 is very interesting. But we'll get into Halloween in a minute. But I will say it's interesting, it being a trilogy and being directed all by the same people and written by the same people is interesting. And um, I do think this sequel, even though I didn't like it that much, I do think it complements the first one in a com- in an interesting, compelling way that made a lot of my problems with the first one go away. Or it didn't... I don't know if it made them go away, but it, like, justified... It, the it addresses I, some things. It addresses some things that needed addressing. Um, and it also... It does something... This the script, which I think is kind of a mess, but has interesting nuggets of things. I want to attribute all the things I like to David Gordon Green and all the things I didn't like to the script, like Scott Teams and uh, Danny McBride or whoever it is. Throw him under um, the bus. Yeah, I'm gonna throw him right under the bus. But we'll talk about all of that shortly and for most of the episode. I've allotted myself, I think, at least ninety minutes to two hours to talk about this because I'm going to see the last duel. <laughs> right after this at 12.30 because I went and saw it dutifully as as AMC A-list members do on a uh, Thursday night at 6 p.m., the first show. I went to the Riddled with Problems AMC 19th Street 6, uh-huh. which used to be the dumpiest of the AMCs, but then it got renovated and is actually fine now. Although I will say they have like... My friend and I have decided they're either doing 
some sort of like study on reclining chairs there and like how how fa- how little a chair can recline and still be called a reclining chair um or the the person who installed them just massively fucked up and they don't work but uh the seats there are different than the other AMCs which are the big cushy red ones that go all the way back and are really nice these ones are black and they have heated seats Yes. They have yes. heated seats, which is yes. very I found that out the a weird way. <laughs> you found it out the weird way, which is how everyone in the theater finds out, with the side of your butt touching the button yes. because it's the seats aren't that big and you your side will touch the side of this chair. And you think it's I call it shit your pants mode. <laughs> it's uh oh, it's did I did I make a mistake in my pants? What's happening? I just thought that I just thought that I had a fever or and or was having a heart attack. So that was good. <laughs> you know, typical sign of a heart attack. Your butt gets real warm. <laughs> well, my um, whole back was getting warm. It was very disconcerting. Yeah, no, it's it it is a disaster, that theater. But anyway, I went there last night to see the last duel with a couple friends. And uh I knew there was gonna be a problem when I walked in at 5.55 for a 6 o'clock movie and my, my homegirl Maria Menounos was not on screen. The, there was just a... It was just black and there was no even pre-show audio. There was nothing. Um, and then it was, you know, cut to 6, nothing. 6.05, nothing. Uh, and I went out to tell somebody and then, like, it it didn't even... They didn't even try to fix the problem. They were just like, yeah, projector's broken. Here's two tickets to come see it again another time. So... We didn't see the last duel, but my friends Richie and Rachel, or Rebecca, excuse me, uh, got to go experience Let There Be Carnage. So, and I, yeah, I realized that I wasn't going to see it last night and bought my ticket for, you know what? I I got a big upgrade, Jesse. I am seeing the last duel on the AMC Prime screen at the AMC Empire 25, which I think we both endured. cop shop on and had a yeah, delight yeah it's 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 gonna be nice and assaultive you're gonna feel like yeah. you're in the last duel well i i already heard that the sound design of this movie's nuts so now i'm really excited to see it in a theater that's gonna be shaking me along with the film uh before we get into halloween kills let's talk um news i have a lot not not nah, not a lot i will i'm gonna read them in the order that they um excite me so let's go number one this is going to excite jesse too as well m night Shyamalan's next directorial effort last week we told you about a movie he's producing which like who cares what's the what's the other movie he produced devil devil yes he produced a lot i feel like he he, maybe he used to throw his name around more i think there was like when devil came out it was going to be the first of many sort of like m night Shyamalan presents Yes. Uh, you know, like a kind of series of smaller movies that he was going to kind of present. And I feel like that didn't really pan out. And he sort of ended up doing TV stuff for that instead. Yes. So who cares about that last production? Maybe it'll be cool. But I care. And Jesse cares. And flesh heads across the world. And uh, new flesh listeners. I have to include you as well. You are not flesh heads until you give me two to five dollars. That is my pledge. Uh then you can start our parasocial relationship. I'm such an asshole. I'm just kidding. I love you guys. You guys are the only reason I'm still doing this, truly. It's been six years, by the way. We just hit our six-year anniversary. Oh, shit. Insane. Anyway, M. Knight's been making movies far longer than I've been talking about them. And his next one 
has a title and a little teaser tweet. And it's called Knock at the Cabin. And uh, he teased it on, or no, he teased it on Twitter earlier by saying the next one on third draft, super tight, under 100 pages. Um, a nice thought. Oh, no, I was going to say, I was about to read some editorializing by Brad Miska at the Bloody Disgusting, and I will not. No old slander. We talked about old for long enough on this podcast to where I grew and grew to love it. Uh, anyway, the movie's called Knock at the Cabin, and the trailer is just that. There's a knocking at the cabin. There's no cabin. It's just a black screen. Um, I guess I should save the other news that is exciting slash interesting for right before Halloween because it's a nice transition. But what else do I got? Jason Blum has an update on the TV series adaptation of Lee Winnell's Upgrade. He said Upgrade should have been a wide release. I was pissed about that. We're working on a TV show, so working on the scripts. This first round didn't come out. I didn't get the response I wanted to get. I don't want to be in development. I want an order. So we're working on the scripts again so that we can get an order. So it sounds like Jason Blum's a hard ass as far as <laughs> run goes. It sounds like they had a writer's room and they got a whole bunch of scripts done. And he said, these are garbage. Start again. Uh, because he doesn't want to be developed. He wants an order. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That just sounds like a weird. Did they you know, have, did they interview with him at a bar or something? It just sounds like, like, talking to Collider. I don't know yeah. what the, what the deal is. Was the Insnider involved somehow? The Insnider yeah. was not involved, but if or if he was, I don't know about it. I've been blocked on Twitter by that man for several years because I think I made fun of him posting like, um, "Got a plus one for a screening tonight. If you're a hot woman and wants to come, let me know." No, literally like. <laughs> That was sweet. He's he's a horrible person. Um. Anyway, I'm excited for the Upgrade TV series because Upgrade is awesome. It is. It was Venom before Venom. Lest we forget that Upgrade was Venom before Venom, and it was. It's better than Venom. It's better than it's either got, Venom. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, and that's that on that. Sis, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Um. VHS 94, which I praised a week ago or two weeks ago or something like that. Shudder is touting it as the biggest movie premiere in Shudder history with more members watching its debut and its opening weekend than any any prior movie premiere on the service. It also has 96% uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. So congratulations to Bloody Disgusting and Shudder and the good people behind that movie that I quite liked. Simon Barrett, Timo DeHanto, Jennifer Reeder, Ryan Prowse, and Chloe Acuna directed parts of that. David Bruckner and Radio Silence are executive produced. Brad Miska, I believe, is a franchise co-creator on that. I believe they were always involved. VHS 94, gotta say, probably the most consistently entertaining of those movies. So definitely check it out on Shudder. We love Shudder here. They don't give us any money to say that. I just like it. And go listen to the Shudder episode with uh, Joe Zimmerman from many years ago, who's the guy behind all of Shudder. The man behind the mask. Um, just under 1 million people tuned in to watch Chucky, uh, the premiere, the pilot on USA and Sci-Fi. It got like 0.451 million on Sci-Fi and 0.357 on USA. It's like 0.808 million, just, or 0.808 you know, million, so just shy of 1 million. Uh, I don't know about 
TV ratings or jargon or key demos and stuff. So I don't know if this is good or bad. But I do know that I think the show is good, not bad. Jesse already gave us his report from Comic-Con. I watched it and I was delighted to find it like a totally competent, instantly recognizable Don Mancini production for me because Don Mancini, his trademarks are just like other people's trademarks. Like he does like Brian De Palma shots and stuff. So like there's a split diopter shot. There's a split screen. I'm like, oh yeah, Don Mancini's, there he is. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. I really like the new lead character. Um, and I think the other characters, some of the people who get disp- dispatched in the premiere are written very well and it's very fun. And you gotta, I gotta give them props because one criticism they probably get is it's Chucky. Like how many ways can he kill a person that is inventive and interesting? And there's a kill in this fucking pilot in the first episode that ranks up there with any kill in the franchise. It made me laugh so much. Did this? I'm not going to ruin the moment, but did that moment get a huge reaction at the comic con? It it was it was met with a great it's approval. The, yeah. Moment, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing a hand gesture because I don't yeah. want to ruin it. Um, it's just a great use of Chucky and his let's say his mouth. <laughs> it, it's <laughs> really fun. It's not like you know he's got a bad mouth and we love Brad Dourif, but no. <laughs> They're doing He's it pretty for... foul mouth. Yeah. And he uses his foul mouth in completely <laughs> new ways. Um, speaking of foul mouth, old guys, this one's not trapped in a doll's body. Ridley Scott is sort of shit talking Noah Hawley's alien t- uh, TV series. That's a, a coming soon. He just said to uh, the indep- independent in the UK, It'll never be as good as the first one. That's what I'll say. And like that can be said about most alien movies. But I think it's fun when Ridley is like <laughs> almost 90 years old is ornery about stuff. But uh, Ridley Scott directed The Last Duel, which I'll be seeing shortly. And he directed House of Gucci. Both movies coming out in 2021. Uh, live your life. I need to think of like a cool slogan that I can put on a t-shirt. It's like live your life like Ridley and Clint. Because they're like not in their nine, about to be nine. One of them is ninety. Yes. And Ridley, I want to say, is ninety in like uh, like three years or something. Like he's, yeah, he's he's getting he's up, up there. there. He's getting up there. So uh, the secret to a long life. He's eighty three. Uh, he's eighty three. So he's not okay. quite. He's gonna be eighty four soon. So the secret still. to a long life is uh, making a having an insane filmography that. <laughs> Me, me keeps you working on films sometimes two at a time <laughs> and releasing films into your 90s love the single year double feature clint has done that a few times spielberg has done it uh our, our man david gordon green uh has done it i think at least once so I'm big, Ooh, that's I'm a, a fun topic if you can yeah, think of oh, other oh you can so, think of other Soderberg does it like soderbergh's done it like six times soderbergh's the king of it for sure yeah. <laughs> but yeah I'm, there are a bunch of people doing them this year uh some the wachowskis did it <laughs> I, was it a different calendar year? It might have been a different what calendar year. Yeah. Uh, you know who did, yeah, who's doing, like, who did it this year accidentally? Doug Lyman. Because Chaos Walking and Locked Down were both out. In the yeah. first, they were in like the first three months of this year. Wow. What a world. <laughs> Think what a world. <laughs> Think about that, everyone. Um, I have to mention, because this is a horror podcast, of course, that the I Know What You Did Last Summer 
13 episode or whatever it is series because god knows we needed the characters fleshed out on on that um it's out it's out today or it was out on friday if you're listening to this today it came out on monday uh the first four episodes are available on amazon prime uh so polarizing but fascinating slasher mystery says megan navarro of bloody disgusting so there you go uh, and there's another brand new Walking Dead spinoff that I obligatorily also have to mention. Tales of the Walking Dead. Each one hour episode is set within the world of the Walking Dead and will feature characters both new and existing. Okay. Pretty sure there's already three of those shows. Maybe four now. <laughs> is it like an anthology? Is the idea that it'll just like have like a standalone one-off things? It is a spinoff anthology series. That is the thinking. That sounds um, kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but have I you watched The Walking Dead? It's no, not. Oh God, no! I know. I, I saw the first seasons of it, and the first season of it. So I don't plan to ever first return to it. But it. I like the idea of it. <laughs> Freshman year of college for me was like spending time trying to figure out how to watch that on cable. We <laughs> um, and I think they put it on YouTube or like something like that. And I remember watching it, and I watched it for a couple years. <clears throat> Excuse me. I had read the comics and thought they were great. The show just is so laboriously paced. Like once they realized it was um, like beloved and they were going to have to stretch it out and keep it going forever. Uh-huh. They just, they really leaned into that. <laughs> and it really is just insufferably boring for me, but I haven't picked it up in years and maybe it's good again. Who knows? Every time I talk about it, some people tweet at me and tell me it's good now, but um, maybe it is. I don't know. I still have to watch the scream TV show that I haven't watched. And The Exorcist TV show, which I haven't watched. But speaking of The Exorcist, and speaking of our board, David Gordon Green, we knew that David Gordon Green was involved in this new Exorcist trilogy, but the plan for now is for David Gordon Green to direct all three new entries in the... in going to theaters, but is it also Peacock, or is it a different service? I think it's It's unclear. Yeah, there's some like big streaming deal with The Exorcist. It's going to streaming as well as um, I think it was Morgan Creek that sold. Let me see. Am I crazy that it's Peacock? I thought it was announced. Um, nope, maybe I'm crazy. Yeah, Universal and Peacock have acquired worldwide rights to create world uh, the IP <laughs> IP based on um, The Exorcist. Anyway, David Gordon Green is going to be writing and directing all of these for now. And he says the difference between the Exorcist and Halloween to me, it's as different as making stronger and pineapple express. They're just so unbelievably different. One is very primal and the other is very academic. So it's just trying to switch gears there. I'm sure I'll know more a year from now when I've gotten a handle on what Exorcist is the scripts written. And it was a very entirely different writing process. Uh, the first one of the trilogy is written and the second two are being outlined. So we've got a ways to go on that, but we know where we're going. It's a new journey with some familiar characters and some new ones as well. He's co-writing the trilogy with Peter Sattler. Um, the first film is scheduled for a theatrical release on October 13th, 2023. So two years from now. The plot details that we were provided this past summer said Leslie Odom Jr. will play the father of a possessed child desperate for help he tracks down ellen burston's character because she, she's got all the answers obviously yeah. um, she was instrumental <laughs> in, in getting rid of the demon uh they saw that like 
old Lori Strode is working for Halloween and they're like, get us an old woman. <laughs> Linda Blair's not old enough. Go older. Um, anyway. Uh, so I think it's as good a time as any to transition into our Halloween kills conversation. I will let you filibuster for a second. Oh with no, you. no! I I wanted to. Oh. Uh, you should you should talk about first because I feel like okay. you are going to represent the more. Uh, I mean, I think you have a more nuanced take than a lot of the stuff I've read, but I do think people are leaning your direction. <laughs> I think you speak for the people in this one. Oh, okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. I don't. I guess. I mean, I guess it's nuanced in that I picked up on stuff that you picked up on and praised, and also praised it while making, you know, my qualms known about the issues with this. <laughs> so, um, all right. Halloween kills. Uh, it opens. Things that are interesting are just worth mentioning. It opens right where Halloween 18 leaves off. Like, it just picks up as if that movie never ended, which is something that the original Halloween 2 from 1981 does. Yes. Uh, but remember, <laughs> convolutedly, Halloween 2 does not exist in this franchise as of now in this trilogy. But it's not calling it a trilogy is even annoying because technically Halloween 2018 in their minds right is a sequel is a sequel is Halloween 2 to 78's Halloween. This is so the, this, this is the first time they've gotten to a Halloween 3 because it, the Halloween 3 that exists is Season of the Witch which is unrelated. And there was not a Rob Zombie Halloween three, so it's 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 you're weird. Right. This, this is the you're third. Right. Yeah, you're right. You're right that this is the third in that in, in like a, in a sequence, but it's also paying homage to the second of the old. It's it is confusing. It's confusing. it's very confusing, and that's part of why this movie gets on my nerves so much. It's very messy and overly busy, and it really. I meant we we talked about Dune having like a half a movie problem last week. This has. I wouldn't say it has half a movie problem because it definitely like is doing its own thing and like knows it's like a side quest. And like, that's kind of, I do enjoy, I do get why that's kind of fun, but I do think the movie botches it too, but it does have a middle part problem in that it feels like it's this part that Halloween kills feels like half of a movie and Halloween ends is the other half of it. Yeah. And that's also confusing because it, you know, it also could be, uh, this is the second part of a third of a trilogy <laughs> or the third part of a quadrilogy. Or like it's the, yeah, it's the middle part of a trilogy that is itself a sequel, which means you have two movies worth essentially of character development that you don't have. This movie, I mean, it's a, a churlish thing to complain about perhaps, but this movie does not stand alone at all because the yes. character development for these characters happened in the 1978 original and in the 2018 follow-up. And now this movie drops you into right after the follow-up. And as you point out, doesn't really resolve everything fully. So even if, and I do think this movie has an ending as more so than like a lot of middle things, but you're, it doesn't really have a beginning. Like it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't have a beginning at all. It just opens. And actually does it, it opens in 78 or does it, I think it opens in 2018. It opens in 2017. Yes. And then goes to 2018 again. Yes. the whole time it's a little I don't think it's confusing, like it makes clear what it's doing, but I will say it's like muddled and not it, handled very it, well. It is it's like they really wanted to pick up immediately after the movie that people a lot of people saw, but 
it, the kind of spiritual opening of it is probably the flashback to 78. Uh, but they obviously didn't want to start with 1978. So that you're right. It is a little, it's a little herky jerky to say, okay, we're right after the other movie. Okay. Now we're right during the previous, the old movie. Now we're back to, you know, it's, that's, it's, it's not crazy. The it's yeah. kind of crazy. Um, And like <laughs> the second time watching it, I, I, I don't want to, like, I want to stay on my side of not thinking it's very good. Um, <laughs> But I almost think the flashbacks, like work in a way like they do kind yes. of work in like yes a, <laughs> they do kind of work in like they're clearly 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 aping like going for we're trying to look like 78 and be yeah. the 78 movie so much so that for the first time in in like the last movie i was like carpenter score fucking rocks and i'm so glad it's 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 here again and even updated but when it's 70 when it when the movie's emulating Halloween 78, it really to me is like they're leaning on the music as a crutch. And it's like, oh yeah, we got to use the 1978 score here big time because we have to rem- people to we have to let people, re- you know, we have to clue them in that this is this is then. And you have to constantly bludgeon them over the head with this is the 78 movie happening now. Um and I'm going to I guess this whole move this whole episode is going to be spoiler topic from the beginning because it's coming out on Monday and the movie's on Peacock. So, if you're listening to this, you can watch it for as little as I think it's $5 that I had yeah. to pay for Peacock Premium because mine was just, was gone because I had uh I think I paid like a $20 for 6 months or something and it right. it had ended. Um so we will be going into spoilers. Um but this movie does like a thing that I'm pretty sure happens in Ghostbusters Afterlife, but we won't talk about that because it's not coming out for a million years. What other movies have done the... Star Wars did it. Peter Cushing, right? Uh, this movie... Halloween or Halloween Kills brings back Loomis in this like 1978 sequence that is... I'm going to say it's like... It's, it's acting as a retcon because it's adding in new elements that the new writers are hoping to like thematically tie in here. So would you, would you agree that like the 78 sequence functions as a retcon? I know in your review, you had like a line about it being like, yeah, I mean, back, I think it's background, but also sort of a retcon. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a retcon of something that doesn't really change anything about the 78 original. It just like gives a character who's really more of a concern in this movie anyway, some kind of, stronger connection that would annoy me in most movies and i guess it did annoy me here because i'm complaining (laughs) about it but like again as i said the second time through i was kind of like accepting what it was giving me and yeah go ahead yeah no i mean so i i it's i think it's a it is kind of a retcon but it's not with the purpose of really altering the 78 original and say this you you didn't know about this and this changes it's a retcon for thematic exactly it's 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 like for emotional impact later it's a little insert it's not even you know i'm not even sure yeah i'm not 100 i don't remember i mean i i confess despite seeing it three or four times i don't remember how that situation the situation that they show in the flashback which is officer uh thomas mann's the actor i don't what's the character's name uh Hawkins Hawkins who's played by um the wonderful Will Patton in the new in the newer movies um in the original movie how much like what he survives obviously uh, uh like 
do we is that scene off Marcus camera like or totally or? off camera in the original it's like it's like the whole thing happens with um Laurie ripping Michael's mask off. Loomis comes in and shoots him. And Loomis saying, like, you know, if he's the boogeyman or whatever. Or Laurie asks him if he's the boogeyman. Laurie walks to the balcony and looks down to see that Michael's gone. Unsurprised, he stares off into the night as Laurie begins to sob. Michael's breathing is heard during a montage of locations where he'd recently been. Indicating okay, so this this character I I was thinking was in some in some aspect was like referred to or some or seen like he's in the movie like he's the other cop right you know? he, yeah he, so he is in the seventy eight or is he is he completely invented for the for the eighteen and and said okay he's he's uh uh he's this guy who was there is that I I was not clear on that because I haven't watched the seventy eight so movie. there's yeah there Sheriff Lee Brackett is is the other sheriff whose daughter dies right uh, and then there's okay they add this character in in the 2018 he's in the 2018 version but he's sort of added as uh the guy who found michael myers after what we see in the 78 uh and then this movie kind of so that's like a mine it's already kind of a minor retcon in the 2018 not a retcon just like saying oh well, this is this guy who was there and then uh this one you know kind of inserts him further into the situation by saying that he actually had him cornered and he accidentally shot his partner who had, who was, who was cat, who was being held by Myers. I uh, just gives him some more detail to like, this is just this little encounter he had with Michael Myers. That's off that, he, that the movie is saying, this is off screen of the 78 Halloween. He's captured right before Michael Myers is captured. This is what happens. And we don't see it in the, in the, in the 78 original. And then the, the, the new sequel and Halloween kills, you're sort of seeing you, the flashbacks cover that stuff. Um, and it is, so it's kind of a retcon, but it is, I think it's for thematic reasons and it doesn't really alter yeah. anything about, about the so, older movie. Yes. So that's the thing We're like, when I'm watching this movie the first time, Definitely, like, kind of eye-rolling at the retconning of it. Mostly because wasn't the whole fucking cell of Halloween 2018, like, fuck the sequels, they don't matter, it jettisoned all the previous continuity, and then this movie is like, well, those things didn't happen, sure, in our timeline, but we're going to do retconning anyway, do the stuff that other Halloween sequels did where you try to like explain Michael's evil as some sort of spirit in sort of spiritual way or whatever. Like it does fall into all the pitfalls that a lot of the Halloween sequels do, which I think is weird because of how fixated the 18 was on bucking the continuity. Yeah, this one yeah. seems like invested on re like rejiggering the continuity. Well, I I think so fans are happy or something. I'm not sure. I mean, sort of some of the um, changes are, you know, or the homage, I should say, are clearly for like for fans of the the whole series. Um, but at the same time, I do think there is a kind of purposeful rejiggering that's less to do with trying to create their own continuity or answer continuity questions or anything to do with continuity, so much as trying to reorient the movie uh, in a different sort of with a, to have a different focus. Uh, in, I think this movie is such an interesting counterpoint to Halloween too, because from the one the one from eighty one, because that was the one that uh, put you know said okay, it turns out the big revelation is although if I recall, it's not treated as much of one in the movie. It's like weirdly underplayed. It's not like the big dun 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 you expect is that Laurie Strode is Michael Myers' long lost sister, and. Yeah. 
these movies, that's something that was erased by the previous one. Um, that was it's something that largely was taken as, you know, sort of canon, even to the point where H2O from, from 98 erases, you know, four, five, and six, but does keep Halloween one and two. Two, you know, Carpenter's involved, yeah, so you, and it's so continuous, so it feels like, oh, that's okay to keep that. That's that, you know, that that, that wasn't like done against Carpenter's will or, or without his input, and Deborah Hill, he and Deborah Hill were involved, so like there's, you know, some kind of sense that they had their you know signed off on it even if it's not as good as the first one but the the 2018 gets rid of that one too and this one sort of goes further and this is later in the movie but there's a sort of this thread in the movie that ever the, the family the strode family is convinced that halloween that mike michael myers is basically pulling a halloween too he's going to come to the hospital where Lori strode is getting graphic surgery for her stab wound something i really appreciated and we'll get into more later um they're assuming, oh, he's going to come to the hospital. It's, it's almost like they've seen Halloween 2 from 1981, and he's going to come after Lori. But Laurie. they haven't, because <laughs> in this timeline, it doesn't exist. It never exactly. Happened. But then, and then the movie sort of rebukes that further by late, this is fairly late in the movie, but I think spoilers are fair game. And this is, you know, I don't know, apart from a few things, there's not like a lot of like crazy surprises in this. No. Um, it's more, it's more interesting. It's like thematic spoilers, if anything. Uh, yeah. Someone, someone says to Lori, he's not interested in you. He's not coming to the hospital to kill you. He's yeah. like, that's not, that's outside of Michael Myers purview. He, all he knows is sort of killing his way back to his home. Um, which is, I mean, it's, and it's very obvious early on. This part maybe, maybe takes some of the surprise and effectiveness out of it is you're never even really misled that he's coming to the hospital. It's only the characters who think that you are pretty, I feel like by the time someone says that we already know he's not going to the hospital. You're like, because what? He's better. Yeah. No, he's not. Yeah. Uh, so but, it feels, there's a little weird disconnect there and the characters insisting that this is happening and you and the audience know that it's not, but they do sort of try to pay that off by saying, yeah. Laurie, he doesn't care about killing you specifically. You may have been fixated on him all these years, but he's not thinking about Laurie Strode. He's thinking about killing what's in front of him and sort of being this like remorseless, you know, shark-like killing machine. So I thought that was an interesting, you know, kind of definitive way of saying, no, this is not, and who knows how the sequel to this, because there's obviously going to be some kind of showdown, will treat that. But it's saying like, this is the Halloween 2 where it's not all about him trying to get revenge or not revenge, but like him trying to finish the job or whatever for Laurie Strode. And they, I think that addresses some, one of the issue you had with the first movie about the yes. doctor. That's what I was going to say. That's what fixes the Dr. Sartain stuff, which is not only is it addressed in that scene in Halloween kills, they explicitly talk more about Dr. Sartain and what he was getting on about. But again, it doesn't really matter because this, again, these movies to me are most interesting when you talk about the themes of them. So what's the theme of Dr. Sartan being the one who intercedes and brings Michael to Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween 18. And that to me is interesting. They're basically saying what you just said. No, it's not about your trauma, Lori. It's not you. He's just going like he, yeah, he wasn't everything you thought is just not right. And it's he's made David Gordon Green or Danny McBride, whoever the writers are definitely saying something about the culpability of other people and specifically how like obsession about Michael Myers, literally like Dr. Sartain's a character who was obsessed with Myers so much so that he put the he brought them into existence again, like yeah. the events of Halloween 18 or at least the showdown at the house at the end wouldn't have happened if an obsessed fan or whatever you want to say of Michael Myers <laughs> didn't literally bring him there, like usher him there. Yeah, so like yeah. that 
being made explicit here. And like, I'm sure smarter people than me picked up on that maybe in, in the last one. But like, I really don't think it was even like no, that. It was sort of deferred a bit. This one. Yeah. yeah. They like, sort of let but, you feel like in the first one that it is a sort of a showdown between. Laura and I got to say, like for a movie that. um, Like, I do think they wrote it at, at separate times. It definitely. I think they did have the idea of it as a true. I do buy that they had an idea of at least two or three of these because things that were said or maybe this is just good writing but like this isn't uh, what i wanted to say about what you were talking about with regard to the opening scene and hawkins thinking that he is the reason michael's still alive specifically yeah. thematically because this movie the most interesting thing about this movie and what's really um as i'm talking about it i'm warming up to it i may end up with a three-star review of this movie by the end <laughs> of the podcast. but this is a movie this may make zero sense to people who aren't on twitter but I will try to explain it. <laughs> this is a movie in which all the characters, like everybody in this movie, suffers from main character syndrome. Do you know what I'm? Do you know what main character syndrome is? Uh, it's, I believe, if I'm understanding it correctly, it's sort of the, you know, the assumption that everything is happening to you. That that you know that, that these things can all be. I mean, it's sort of an extension of how we all naturally process things, which is in, in kind of default selfishness. It's kind of. It kind of you can think of it in relation to how I joke about parasocial relations. Yes, yes, yes. It's all yeah. about our, you know, how all this stuff is happening to me. Nine like eleven or whatever, or the COVID nineteen pandemic yeah. or anything, it's happening to me, the main character of this story, not yeah. to the whole world. And you're just sort of a little person. Yeah. That... Psychology today, I think, defines the the. It's like a it's like a term now. Main character syndrome is when somebody presents or imagines themselves as the lead in a sort of fictional version of their life. <laughs> so watching this movie from the lens of, okay, everyone in this movie thinks they're the main character and they're the reason that this trauma is happening. Uh, Hawkins thinks that Lori very clearly thinks that, but even this, this is where in the second viewing, I wanted to be like, okay, the, the writers are smarter than I'm giving them credit for because in 2018 Halloween, Toby Huss plays, I don't know his character's name, but he's uh, the dad of, of the dad of, of, Allison. of of Allison and husband of Judy Greer's of Karen, Judy Greer's character, and um, great character. He gets killed brutally by Michael, um, <laughs> but there's a scene, a lighthearted dinner scene. It's lighthearted before Laurie Strode shows up and is drunk, um, but there's a scene where he's talking about uh, Cameron, who's dating Allison's dad, who we uh -huh. meet in this movie who's actually a character from Midnight Mass. He's getting a lot of work lately. Um, but we meet we meet Cameron, or Cameron's meeting her dad. I don't know if it's the first time they're meeting, but they're having a conversation, and Toby Huss is talking about Lon Elam, whatever his name is, Elam, Lonnie, whatever it is. He's uh -huh. talking about Cameron's dad, who we meet in Halloween Kills. He's talking about him, and he says, oh, yeah, your dad used to sell me peyote. And like he talks about this whole thing, and Allison's embarrassed, like, Dad, don't talk about that in front of his son. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if you caught this in Halloween Kills. There's a scene where his dad, Cameron's dad, is describing the same, is telling the same story. Yes. And telling it from the perspective of, no, Toby Huss, your dad is the one who gave me peyote. Yeah. <laughs> and like, so like, that is to me a uh, confirmation of this through line that I'm seeing in this movie where it's like, Everybody in this movie thinks they're the main character. And that informs 
uh, how the the story and the trauma and can you expand on that in a way that yeah I actually love that I didn't think about that that much while watching the movie and I saw that you had written a bit about that and I totally agree. I think that's a great way of looking at it and I would say sort of expanding on that a bit the what's interesting about it to me is that it's not like this movie as much as it is you know clearly there is an angry mob in it and there's like people trying to do vigilante mob justice in in a way that is ill-fated and ill-advised for all of that i think what i responded even more not even thinking about the main character thing which i think is a great observation is that but related to that that green isn't making a movie about how these are a bunch of you know feckless idiots who deserve our contempt who are just as bad as michael myers um you know that that scene with them when they're talking about the little peyote episode um is both really sweet because it calls back to this kind of joke in the earlier movie and it does illustrate what you're talking about with a kind of main character flip about like how people interpret these things as being more or less about themselves or other people. Yeah, it's like how and, you could even just say it's about how we orient mentally, like right, that's how right. we remember stuff. Like we, yeah. Toby Huss literally probably remembers the story that way. Yeah, he does his way. Yeah, and you, you also there's also like a shot sort of pans over to Allison, and she's you know. I think both heartened to hear this about her dad, but also she's, she's crying a little bit because her dad has just died. And I think this movie does a surprisingly good job of showing people. I don't mean, to, I really don't want to say like, this movie's really about trauma and grief um, and about who gets oh, to tell what, and isn't it also kind of about who gets to tell what stories and why? Yes. Um, <laughs> and even if you do I, get to tell your own story, <laughs> is it the right one? Right. Uh, but so she's, she's, I think the movie captures her, you know, something that slasher movies don't often have time for is kind of capturing the grieving in the moment of like, she's just lost her father, you know, three hours ago. Um, and she's really upset about it. So there's this like, I don't know, there's this moment of real humanity where she's listening to the story about her dad. And she's also, it also of course makes her really sad because it's like a sweet, fun little story. And also he's not here anymore. And I think that is all over this movie. And that is why I responded so positively to it. And I think it's very David Gordon Green. And I don't mean to not, you know, credit, get like you said, credit Green for all the stuff I like and anyone else for stuff I didn't like. But I think he has such affection for the people in Haddonfield, even though they do this terrible stuff with, with mob justice and all, and all seem to be suffering from main character syndrome and don't really, you know, Laurie Strode, our sort of perverted heroine, doesn't know you know, doesn't really interpret the situation correctly, but he has real affection for them. And I think that's over and over. And that's kind of what makes, I think has made some people really upset about this movie um, without, I don't mean to say like, without them realizing it or like they, they don't under, don't know what they're talking about, but I do think we're smart have like, and everybody yeah, else, and is everybody else is dumb. Yeah. And doesn't um, understand it. No, just... I think when people were mad, you know, mad about this movie, just being like, unending brutality and it is it has really brutal oh we haven't even touched on any of the slasher elements or the mob stuff but yeah it is arguably as brutal and viscerally violent as like halloween uh rob zombies halloween's like yeah, the violence is noticeably cranked up and they show you the aftermath of everything and it's fucking gnarly so if you're there yeah. for that you probably but, will yeah it what's what's interesting to me is both what happens before and after these like horrific kills, which will are you know if you are like a kind of gore, it's it's interesting it's an interesting line too because it's not 
framed as being these are some fun kills but they are like if you like inventive gore there's certainly a lot of like horrible stuff but before and after these kills there's interesting things that happens there's repeatedly and, and green did this a bit in the first movie but he does it even more here you kind of get these little vignettes about different people in haddonfield most of them are couples which i found interesting and i don't know if that was intentional or just lazy repeating the self, themselves but you see uh there's a there's a black couple who are out out for fun on halloween at a bar did you notice that they're uh, they were very minorly featured in 2018 Halloween. Oh, I didn't. In that, in that long panning shot where Michael's killing their neighbors. Okay. There's a whole exchange where the camera's on them, Michael's in the background, but they don't see him. And the guy dressed as a doctor forgets his keys and goes inside. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize so that that was them. I'm going to go ahead and call this a an inspiration that they got from the Saw franchise. <laughs> yes. The most minor <laughs> character possible from the last movie and set it around them. Well, and here in the Saw franchise, it's done in a very, yeah, it's, that's a, that's a, that's hilarious. Uh, it's, it's done in this sort of like clever tapestry of like ridiculous soap opera contrivances. And here it's really starts to feel like, Oh, green really cares about like what the, what the texture of this town is like, which seems a silly thing to say about a town that's been depicted so many times. And, you know, it has, you and know, is, is depicted as Illinois by way of California. Yeah, has never, has maybe never been shot. <laughs> never been real. Yeah, um, but he, so you know, he sees that there's that younger couple with one's one is a doctor dressed as a nurse, and the other is a nurse dressed as a doctor. Very cute. That's I funny. That made um, me. God is sweet. Like well, that, he, that line where they're like, they say that I'm a doctor and she's a nurse, and, and yeah. someone goes like, "Of course, like, yeah. I should, or whatever." And it's, it's, I don't know. Yeah, it just seems like Green really. I mean, there's they have a scene at the bar where they're sort of first annoyed that a bunch of Halloween '78 survivors are sort of being noisy and out, and they're kind of like asking them to keep it down, and then they kind of befriend them, and they're being well, sort of, yeah. Know, that scene is nice, but it's also goofy to me that it's like, here we have a talent show, and yeah. then Tommy Doyle goes up and is like. Forty years ago, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, what is talent like, surviving a murder? Is that, that it? it? And somehow that struck me also as very green to have this bizarre, you know. So there's there's that, well, that yeah, couple. Because, well, it, it 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 stumbles into green because like the bar owner is clearly like a guy who probably owns that bar they shot at. Yeah, right, you know right. I mean? Yeah, there's then there's throughout that you see there's an older interracial couple who are kind of messing around with a drone in their living room, like like kind of goofy, and they're yeah. so sweet. And they're and there's this and this gay couple uh, who are figure towards the end of the movie, Big John and Little John, who I think have been sort of interpreted as making fun. But I, to me, well, to me I interpret it that way, and Lewis agreed with me. And Lewis is a gay man, so I feel validated. But <laughs> yeah, no, I don't mean I to like say, people, oh, no, no, no. Most wrong. people in my, I, I've just seen only praise for these scenes, including you. Uh, thinking that they're like, you know, it's an in. We'll talk about it. What were you going to say about them before? Yeah, I... all the, he shows all these couples, and before they're, you know, there's killing, he really gives you, I mean, it's quickly because this isn't like a three hour movie, but he gives you these little kind of glimpses into what their lives are like or what their relationships are like or what their homes are like, even. You see, like, the older couple has this sort of a charmingly cluttered apartment of bizarre stuff, and they're messing around with the drone. And, uh, the gay couple has much they who lives in the old Myers house has like really fixed yeah. it up and it looks really nice and they have really so, nice, like, well appointed apartment and our uh, house and all that and you kind of get to see these people before Michael Myers bursts into their lives and horribly kills them and then afterwards even multiple times they, he sort of lingers on these people who are basically dead but maybe not stopped breathing yet 
you know, sort of in their last moments. And there's like point of view shots sometimes, like and this is even in the, with the firefighters who you don't who aren't afforded that uh that like kind of grace beforehand. But there's point of view shots where you're kind of seeing the point of view of someone who's basically on their last few breaths. And I found that so interesting that he has these really gnarly kills, but you see both of kind of before and after of these people. And I don't know that to me, it was, it, it's heartbreaking and it is horrifying and it's not really fun in the, like, I mean, it's not fun to see these people get killed. And I just found that it was really interesting that he has so much empathy uh, to me. It seems like he has so much empathy for the people of Haddonfield, especially in this movie where uh, it's a little bit diffuse in terms of who it's actually following. I mean, like the Strode, Strode, Laurie Strode and her daughter and granddaughter are Fine. in it. But yeah. they're not in it a lot, really, compared yeah. to the first Very movie. Very sidelines. But he, I think he does fill that space with something interesting. And it is kind of a time-killing device because it's not, you know, nothing in this movie is, is like, really, you know, super plotty. But I really loved seeing, like, these big bits of Haddonfield and sort of what is lost when the, this town is, like, you know, succumbs to this horrible fear. And it's not like they're wrong. They're not wrong that's, to be afraid of Michael Mike. That's the issue. That's yeah. the issue. <laughs> succumbs to this horrible fear but like other thing they should be afraid of <laughs> exactly if it were to be meaningful like michael myers wouldn't exist or something right. but like but like the fact that he is there and brutalizing everybody just undercuts everything that i agree with i agree with everything you're saying i love those scenes i love the idea of those scenes i'll say because this is where i di di disagree with you on <laughs> big john and little john um <laughs> I think Danny McBride, again, this is a case of me assigning hate to McBride for the things I don't like and saying Green did all the good stuff. But whoever wrote those scenes has some weird, or and the last movie, has a weird fixation on gay men. And I'm not sure if it qualifies as gay panic or homophobia. But to me, that Big John, Little John scene and that little boy's exchange with his father in 18 where he's talking about how he likes to go to dance class instead of go to hunting or whatever something's just like going on there like maybe it's i i i guess lewis flat out rejected when i said it's it's well-intentioned inclusivity that i'm misinterpreting but i something's something was me the wrong way but like maybe i am focusing on it wrongly because you know there's a one gay couple and a couple other couples that are not gay but like they're just one of many vignettes but there's something like to me, I, I don't think you felt this way, but there's like a base level. I don't want to be, I don't want to be disparaging. I, I want to be disparaging, not to <laughs> middle America. I was going to say right, middle America. Right. I don't want to be disparaging them, but there's like a, there, there is an audience for this movie who watches these movies in that scene in Halloween 18 and the scene in this one with big John, little John and is laughing because they're gay. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, I, think I mean, that's I think, that's yeah, that's that's, that's, that's a fair, not their fault. Yeah, but, and like but, I, maybe it is their fault. I, I'm I'm torn between thinking it's a it's a fault and and agreeing that it's just like yeah, it's just a vignette of a gay couple. What's wrong with that? But like calling them Big John, Little John is like a joke. And like, is that a well intentioned joke? Is that like I just. Like just, it just, just feels like me. feels like humor from like 1990 that like yeah. slipped into. I, I do wish I just do wish as as I know you do too that Lewis was here because I know he hated this movie and I would love to talk about this. With I him. know I've been um, for people who don't know who aren't in the DMs. I've been badgering Lewis to do this episode with us. I'm not <laughs> sure if he doesn't want to because he doesn't want to be down on a movie that people are yumming or whatever. Yeah. Or actually, um, most people are down on it, yeah. but I think he just <laughs> well, so he's so not I, here. 
So I don't mean to say like, oh, you're, you know, that uh, that someone would be incorrect to find to to find this, you know, offensive or to find it, you know, yeah, homophobic. But I do believe in my, I mean, like just my my personal God's honest opinion as someone who does blanch at homophobia, and it's certainly not the same thing for me as a straight person because there's plenty of homophobia I've been forced to tolerate, and it's much easier for a straight person to tolerate it. That's just a, yeah. unfortunately a fact. Um, and you know, I don't, I've never had to see myself in a movie in that way and feel like, oh, am I being made fun of here? But my opinion, just purely as reading the movie, was that it's affectionate. I just don't see where the audience is well, being huge. There's to laugh. that. Like well, I don't I, think the audience I, may laugh, but I don't see where the filmmakers are encouraging that. That's why I have softened, and I now think it's like more on the audience because, like, I just I can already read like there's already like standing of those guys on my <laughs> like people like Big John, Little John, love them so much, and like maybe that's fine. And I'm being I'm I'm just oversensitive and thinking about it too much. But like there is a subsect of the audience. I know there is. I've seen them on Letterboxd. I've sat next to them in theaters who are laughing because there's a, a there's 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 two men showing affection for each other and they're calling each other Big John and Little John. And yeah. I don't think that is the filmmaker's fault. I'm going to go ahead and say I've softened to the point of I don't think it's gay panicky. I do think they're trying to be inclusive and I don't know maybe they're stumbling maybe it's fine and i'm overthinking yeah i mean it is i don't know the sexuality of the of the co-writer uh from righteous gemstones who worked on this with mcbride and green i know mcbride and green are straight dudes as far as i know i mean you know you know who you know it's a spectrum it's a rich spectrum who i don't mean to ascribe Danny mcbride's a kinsey one yeah yeah i mean he's at least a kinsey three uh no um i'm just gonna give celebrities each their own outdated kinsey score um (laughs) <laughs> no, but I, I do think that's it is probably a product a little bit of, you know, of these probably straight white dudes trying to be a little more inclusive. And maybe that can come off sometimes as either condescending or or not quite right. But like even that scene in 2018 Halloween, which I know we've talked about before, so I won't spend too much time on. I just thought was so sweet and actually reminded me of a bit in the sitter, which is I'm not is not going to rally anyone to my cause. Like, listen, guys, it was just like in the sitter. But in the sitter, there's one of, one of the characters, one of the kids that Jonah Hill is babysitting. He has a realization late in the movie or midway through or something that this kid is gay. And there's it's, I thought found that way movie handled it was so sweet. It, it like has one of the kind of moments of kind of conversion of Jonah Hill's character is where he's able to take this kid aside and say like look, it's, it's okay. You know, that's, that's not a big deal. Like you're, you are who you are. He's, you know, has something like little heart to heart with him. And again, that sounds really cheesy, but like this character who has been kind of crass and self-centered through the whole movie. And he sees this little kid sort of struggling with this and is able to try to say, look, no, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I see you. And it also, it's, you know, you shouldn't be worried about this. You're, you're, you're a good kid. And it's, 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 it's who you are. And that's great. And I see, see that a little bit of that in Halloween. It's like this kid trying to, it's just such a, I found that movie between this kid and his dad so sweet, almost like weirdly, if anything, like weirdly unrealistic that this kid feels comfortable to say, look, I'm being upfront with you. I prefer this other thing. And I like going hunting with you, but I also want to, I like dance well, class more. I just thought that was, I don't know. I think, I think there is a real attempt there to do something. I, I, yeah, inclusive. I agree. I guess I, I do see you. I do see your side and agree. But I think maybe that also comes with the problem where I think the dialogue in this one and the last one is often just like in the category of like just the way pe- no one talks like this. Uh-huh. And like there's a lot of that in Halloween Kills, a lot of dialogue that like make people laugh with like the evil dies tonight chant and the um, uh, he's turning us into monsters. Like yeah. it's just it's all there's a lot of that that you could nitpick if you wanted to and like the dialogue is laughable and like the script could have used a cleanup but 
back to what you were saying about the vignettes, like the, the gay, gayness aside of those vignettes. And like, I do agree that the movie's interested in interesting things uh, with regard to trauma, which is so annoying to say. But um, something that we always talk about is like, we never get to see Michael staging his little murder scenes after. <laughs> and like, there's the, there's the scene with the, the couple where um, he's like repeatedly stabbing the husband with all the knives on the counter while the, the woman's on the floor dying still. And like, that is the closest I think we'll get to a scene where Michael is like dutifully rearranging the, the gravestone right. or yeah. whatever. But like there's a scene also that scene is what you talked about, like the lingering of like just it, it's a good scene because of the the brutalness of Michael and how he's just like base just like doing this. Uh, it really got to me. Um, so like there and, and as I mentioned earlier, the main character stuff, the like the implication that everybody falsely just like at large remove Michael everyone falsely blames himself for the trauma that's been thrust upon them. And like, that's a very compelling, powerful message. And like, I wish, and maybe the movie does earn my praise of that. I'm really softening on it. The more a movie, a movie that can inspire a conversation like this is, is inherently better than the worst of the Halloween right. sequence. Right. I will say that. Like, I'm definitely softening on it as like an artful work. Um, but like, because of course I did on, I think Zombies Halloween 2 is a beautiful treatise on, on trauma, but this is so different. Um, and I think another problem with it I have is that like the goofy humor that gets in the way of the tension repeatedly, which is a problem I had that aggravated me in 2018 that aggravated me again in this one, especially during the big John, little John scene. There's some like, there's some break for humor during the whole Michaels in the house thing, but there's also that touch of Michael playing the record and leaving their bodies in that nice pose. Yeah, they, he lives like, in a pose that like mimics both their, um, I think their, uh, I don't know if it was also their real estate ad, but they're definitely their own, they have, they have a photo of themselves in this kind of sweet, you know, pose like outside on a picnic kind of pose in the house. And then you see that he's left them that way. And it's not really underlined, but it is, you know, again, I found it like kind of, it's like kind of upsetting um, and there is something, and again, I think there are it's ways. It's like Michael's maybe, playing house with these dead people. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's not maybe a hundred percent developed in terms of Myers character, because I know Greed has spoken about not wanting to explain too much about who he is or what he is or, or where he comes from. You know, there's as much as there's retcon and stuff to 78, it's much more about other people around Michael Myers, not like, okay, well, let's go back and see what he was doing as a child or what he was like. There, you, you, even when you mention him as a child, they one of the characters in this says, "Oh yeah, I used to play with him as a kid." In in the in the flashback, says, "I used to play with you know, used to know him as a kid," and it's even that is filtered through the Haddonfield resident rather than anything we see about Michael, which I think is really interesting. Main um, character syndrome. Yeah, like, exactly. And everyone then, everyone inserting themselves into, "Oh, I knew Michael. I met him when he was a kid," and like yeah. that is what people do. It's like when a car crashes outside your house. It's like the yeah. Dane Cook bit when like. You see, I was in my kitchen and then I came out like everyone talking to each other outside. Yeah. Because like they all have their own spin of the narrative of what I happened. think what's, what's crucial about why I like this movie so much is that green does not, like I said, is not trying to make these characters out to be stupid for doing that. I think he kind of understands that. that no, is I don't think do. he's judging at all. When I say everyone thinks when he's making everyone think that when he's giving everybody main character syndrome, yeah. I don't yeah. think he's judging them in any way. I think that's the most human thing you can do. And I think that 
that's what's really wearing me down is like the human human brain wanting to make trauma about yourself and blame yourself and um and like if even if the literal i think that my what i'm learning as we're talking the literalization of those themes in the script in the movie in the text or whatever it's just sloppy sometimes and it's messy and it's overtly stated even. And like, that's why I think a lot of people are tripping over it and being like, yeah, this movie's really dumb and bad. And like, I thought so too. Um, even though I had plenty of praise for it. And like, even though I did recognize the things that it was doing the first time, even if I did recognize them, even if I didn't appreciate them, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Well, I think it's what where that sort of metastasizes and becomes more of a driving force in the movie is what we're, we should probably get to is the um, the mob that that forms ar yeah. around by led by Tommy Doyle. Tommy um, Doyle, who was played by Paul Rudd in Halloween Five. In, in, but, a, in a is it is it five or is it six? It might be six. It's, it's, it's five, curse, I isn't think. it? Curse of Michael. Returning. Daniel Harris is still sticking around for four and five, and then I think uh, and then it's. Uh, than Rudd in six, I think. Anyway, Curse of Michael Myers is is Curse six? I think it is. Yeah, because that's the one he's in. Yeah, yeah. He's it's giving return <laughs> is giving more, early and return and curse revenge. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's, curse isn't numbered, and, and four and five are at least in some. You know, but anyway, that's we're uh, it's so easy to get into the weeds with Halloween's Rudd giving an all time worst performance of his career. <laughs> yeah, probably career. why he didn't return <laughs> to this one. Yes, it's probably like a um, shame because everybody hit. else who played a role from the other one who could have returned did, including yes. Marion Chambers, who God rest her soul in these movies has been <laughs> killed in multiple Halloween timelines now. <laughs> um, so Anthony Michael Hall now plays Tommy Doyle, who was the little boy who Laurie babies in the first one. They try to do a story with him in six that is very bad, although it's a great idea. And here he is a townie, basically, who's, you know, grown up, but still haunted by this stuff and is doing his little spoken word uh, or whatever it is. Not even spoken word. It's just like a weird PSA in the middle of the talent show at the bar. Yeah, it's his, no, it's his talent. He yeah. survived murder. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's and that's there is something kind of like sad and, and sweet about that. And he eventually, you know, when he when he gets wind on the news that Michael Myers has returned and killed a bunch of people. He says, that's fucking it. I'm, you know, I'm going to take the bat behind the bar, the kind of folksy, delightful bartender owns, and I'm going to lead a bunch of people and we're going to stop this. And what's interesting to me about that is that that is essentially the plot of most slasher movies after a certain point. You know, after the hour mark, someone says, we're going to get this son of a bitch. And they, you know, go after him. I guess sometimes the stalkers just can't, isn't, is unrelentingly pursuing someone and they have to fight back. But, you know, there's usually some element of like, well, the cop, it's never, these things are never, True to life, I suppose. Never the cops taking down the killer. Uh, you know, we called the police and they came in and they took care of it. You know, that's never what happens in a slasher movie, uh, or and not often what happens in real life. Um, so, like, it's kind of this more extreme version of what you often see in a slasher movie, which is okay, the people are going to fight back, and this soon metastasizes into an angry mob that heads for the hospital, thinking that's where Myers is going to go, and they are also kind of pursuing this other mental patient who escaped in the big crash in the 2018 that freed Michael Myers in the first place. If I'm remembering correctly, that's yeah. the case. Um, so there's a whole kind of thing about threat about vigilante justice. Um, and it is a little, I could see why people would trip over it because as you mentioned very astutely, it's like a thing about fear and being, you know, fear getting into the town, but like they're the thing they're afraid of is real and killing people. So they are correct to be afraid. <laughs> 
right in this instance. But I think what's interesting about it is that Green is not necessarily lecturing about the dangers of vigilante justice, although he does, I think, ultimately come down anti uh, on that. Yes, uh, I would say someone, yeah. someone does get killed because Decidedly. of this. Anti. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's less about like, you know, this is why you shouldn't be afraid and you should just, you know, just face all your fears or something pat like that. I think he's genuinely uncertain and I wrote this in my review. You can read it at sportsalcohol.com. Uh, quick little plug there. Uh, the, I think Green is decidedly, at least in this movie, and maybe this is just a function of it being a part two, decidedly uncertain about what to do in this, like, uh, in this, albeit, you know, completely made up situation. Like, I think he's recognizing that both that Myers is this kind of unstoppable force of evil and also that, you know, just trying to use, you know, force against force is not necessarily working. Um and that's especially clear when Myers, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Yeah, say. yeah, and it's and that just makes it sound so pat. And I do think that's why people are sort of rolling their eyes a bit at the vigilante stuff. And also that you know some of the dialogue is a little the dialogue is the problem. I mean, I think again sometimes I receive that stuff more in terms of like a fifties yes, or sixties. I agree. Movie. I mean, it's as you mentioned. I think you mentioned the Twilight Zone episode. What is it? The monsters on Maple Street. Yeah, monsters are doing Maple Street. And then like again, it doesn't quite track with that because like that's about monsters not actually killing anybody. I know, but <laughs> even I'm just saying like. Yeah. hunky dialogue like that yes, I'm just, yes. yeah i can chalk yeah. that up to you being a twilight zone homage sure yeah yeah and sort of that kind of you know it's it is we're nothing of, if not forgiving yeah. on the new <laughs> we watched all these halloween movies you certainly develop a certain forgiving uh standards and i think that i understand people getting tripped up over that mob justice angle because you're kind of, you are kind of like okay so what are we what are we saying here about mobs well, bad well, ultimately, ultimately what do they do the mob ultimately kills the wrong person they kill oswald coppelpot the (laughs) the penguin man who is very briefly in the opening scene from halloween he's holding his little umbrella they say don't go near him i forget they i think that's the one they say tie your shoes around him i don't remember what they said but there's this poor mentally challenged man who looks like oswald coppelpot who i think another thing that uh, strains credulity here is um the fact that everyone's like, oh, it's Michael, go get him. And it's just a guy who could never, ever in a million years. A, sort of, a, sh- a short, squat man without a yeah. mask. And they're it's going, it's Michael Danny, Myers. <laughs> Danny DeVito. Like, yeah. it's not It's not Michael Myers. And Michael right. Myers in these movies is like the, the zombie style, hulking, giant guy. Yeah. And this guy's never them. And the whole town. I know, again, it doesn't matter. It, it's thematic. What are they saying about angry mob and mob justice and also what are they saying about karens in the world <laughs> this movie has the most empathetic portrayal of a karen in a movie they did they named judy greer's character karen she's a white woman and then in this movie to make the very deliberate choice of having her basically call the manager of the hospital and be like <laughs> is there security here where's security like they have but that has to be a deliberate choice. And to me, <laughs> the message David Gordon Green is sending is behind every Karen <laughs> is some what I mean? he's, trauma. He's full of empathy for even for the Karens of the world, which maybe I, I mean, maybe I, that's I, why I'm people half would... joking, but I'm also yeah. not. Like I yeah. think he is getting at something like yeah. that. Uh and I think so it's inter- it is interesting to me that the mob dynamic stuff is some of the clumsier stuff in the movie, but it does have some some it leads to some stuff I think is really great. One is that 
you know, Laurie Strode is mostly confined to a hospital bed for this movie. She gets a surgery, which they pointedly show is just as gnarly as a kill. You know, they you really see the internal surgery. And that they really, subver I hate to, you know, talk a bunch of stuff up to subvert, just to subvert a cliche, but I loved, they subvert the cliche of the person who's been hospitalized and down and out, but is determined to go get back up and fight. You know, what they always do is they jab themselves with some kind of pain medication, say, I'm good to go. And they, you know, kind of miraculously, yeah. Yeah. uh, she does this, screams in horrific pain, and her while Judy Greer's Karen character is like, "Do you even know what you just stabbed yourself with?" In terms of the painkiller, <laughs> she yeah, gets up, funny. gets up to go fight fight Michael Myers. It is in agony the entire time because she's literally just had life saving surgery on her abdomen, so she's screaming in pain. Uh, she like joins the mob briefly to say that might be Michael Myers, and then say, "No, no, it's not him," and then beats a hasty retreat back to the hospital bed and they even say let's get you hooked back up to the monitors <laughs> you know we do the, the, the hot the classic action hero thing of like tearing out the, mo the, yeah. the monitors and going after the bad guy she, they like make a point of her like ushering your it's it's like it's, it's basically let's get you back to bed grandma the, yes. in the movie yes. and i just loved seeing that because that like the kind of it really undermines this feeling like yes you as the main character like you say will be able to you know cast off the shackles of your hospital gown and whatever and go kick ass and you see that she's in immense pain the entire time she tries to do this she's out of bed for 15 minutes and then she's reconfined re to her hospital bed because she, yeah no shit she just had surgery she can't go fight michael myers now even if she jabs herself with some morphine or whatever and i thought that was so smart it's a small thing but i really just found it delightful and really clever um, and also kind of plays into that. Like she may be trying to be the lone action hero here, but she's ultimately Laurie Strode for this moment is just part of the mob saying it's him, it's him, get him. And then saying, Oh, trying to, you know, trying in vain to say, no, I was wrong. It's not him. And that's sort of where it leaves her in this movie. She gives some, you know, kind of, you know, dramatic speech about, um, about Michael Myers. And I, I, I kind of bought into it. I kind of bought into the, like the more he kills, the more he transcends and he, you know, kind of, you know, uh, churns through this fear and, and only increases it in the town. And you just are kind of left wondering, especially so, something that happens at the very end, if this town is just irrevocably ruined by this. And if there's any kind of way out of it, even as good as these people are, and green really does think these are good people, but there may not be a way out of this. Like this town may be kind of permanently Michael Myers home, which is like, I think is scary and cool. Well, I'll say two things. One thing, one man's subversion is another man's waiting for the third entry. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, true. It's true. No, they may, they may... I, I agree. That is a subversion and it was very funny. But this movie, a problem that I already sort of mentioned up top, but like we're all aware and anticipating Halloween ends, which this movie spends half of its runtime pretending doesn't exist because it keeps acting like it's building this epic conclusion when like it, you know, and that's where I was like, it's silly to call a Halloween sequel unnecessary, but this one feels really useless and like a buffer before the finale. But again, now I'm like, given those parameters, it's a trilogy. They have to make a middle one and they have to do it somehow. I am more and more intrigued by all the, th the things you're talking about. And I do think I'm going to say subversion now. What I once thought was fan service or like, like rolling my eyes at, you know, you're right. It's not so much fan service as look at these people from the original. It's like, look at how these people from this incident are affected. And like, it's not handled with a lot of gustos at points, but <laughs> I will say it like this movie does enough 
to like almost I want I I can almost say if people say even including myself that there's fan service elements I could also be like well it's kind of subverting that no by including them in this strange way um maybe that's a stretch do you I'll say I'll say as a sidebar the fan service the, the actual fan service that I was delighted by was the using of the masks from Halloween 3 um in yeah uh, the mask from Halloween 3 is great he beheads a child that <laughs> yeah. is wearing that's the other thing we haven't talked about like he beheads a child he stabs a guy through the eye the opening sequence for him which is not it's like 30 minutes into the movie maybe 20 minutes actually probably uh the introduction the introduction of michael here is a scene where he slaughters 12 firemen <laughs> who are first responders at the scene so brutally that there's a really hastily assembled change.org petition to remove the scene where Michael kills firefighters from some wannabe firefighter who's not even a firefighter who says <laughs> it offended him. This will get me in good down at the station. Yeah. Uh, I know. I like the, I like the uh, it's as if it's like good that he kills firefighters. He also kills women, children, and regular yeah. guys, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I keep the children beheading in. Yeah. But, <laughs> but the firefighter. The guy who's dressed as a doctor gets stabbed like through the eye in a really gross way that lingers. Yeah. His wife or girlfriend gets like that's a that's a punchline of a kill. She gets he slams the door on her while she's holding a gun and she shoots herself in the head. Yeah. Oh boy. That's it was really like it's a, it's good for a surprising laugh. Like you got to remember that Danny McBride is behind this at some point. Like there's going to be humor throughout. Yeah, and, and I like, can see sometimes there is an uneasy mix of the kind of black humor, uh blackly funny, you know, kind of slapstick of the kills. And like, you know, that character who accidentally shoots himself in the head is is like is like likable and yeah. nice. And like you're you like all these people. So then watching them get killed really brutally is like there is a real disconnect between the kind of, you know, I was just watching. Um, there was some movie I was watching where it was so clear that they were making sure everyone who got killed thoroughly deserved it. Oh, is the yeah. other child? We'll talk about this. The Child's Play remake. Um, oh, everyone who dies in that is like disgusting. No, that's not true. The, yeah. There's like there's a the character's mother who's very. I sweet. know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, but there's several characters in it who they kind of go out of their way to make more loathsome, so the kills can just be fun. You're just like, well, that guy's a creep, so it's okay that he got his his head chopped off. But this movie does not do that, but still has the kind of gory slapstick. And I think there are times where you're sort of like, this is going too far. I mean, I say that as someone who likes gory horror movies yeah. but you are watching really nice you know warm friendly people and then the innocent guy goes splat on the yeah. fucking ground and it's yeah. really gross <laughs> yeah it's really it's really gross um and that but is again, that fits your theme of the the impact yeah, of trauma and, on the town and how so i can see why the someone definitely wants to have a cake and eat it too with regard to finger wagging at trauma or at brutal murders and yeah and, and then also yeah rubbing your face in it and which is like again why i understand people being upset but if you accept the movies for what they are like again being like they're making a halloween sequel it has to be brutal and a gross movie to please the fans so if they can do that while also subverting it in a fun way then i'm fine with it well, like they, the movie understands that it is entertaining for a certain type of viewer, me included, you included, I'm sure, to yeah. see like a gnarly death scene. Um, so I think there is something to that, even though I don't, I mean, yeah, sometimes the mixture wasn't always nailed for me. And I think that's especially true, although this is less of a gore issue in in what happens at the end. Can we talk about that? Are we, are we up to that point? Yeah, know? we can. We can. Go ahead. So the movie ends with Michael Myers cornered. 
And uh, again, you really, hopefully you haven't gotten this far if you don't, if you have yet designs to see this movie, um, but hopefully you have seen the movie if you're listening to this. Um, he's cornered by that mob. Um, and it's, there's a gotcha, another gotcha from Judy Greer's Karen who helps that kind of get him cornered. And they all sort of take turns taking a whack at him. And there's a moment, perhaps people find this ham-fisted, where Judy Greer's character could join in with this or she could walk away. And she does, in her understandable rage and fury, her husband has been murdered brutally by this guy and he's tried to kill her and her daughter and her mother many times. Uh, so she takes a crack at him too. Um, and then sort of, you know, seems to be kind of sitting with herself and thinking a bit about like what this means for herself. Cause I don't think she seems especially proud of having like stabbed this, this person, even Judy though he was has that moment too, right there where she like looks in the window and who does she see her reflection, Michael's reflection. She sees something and then she looks and it's gone. I think she sees the kind of, I think if I'm re remembering correctly, she might be seeing the image that they referred to in this, in the flashback, which is a young Michael Myers just standing yeah, in his room looking at the window. That's what I thought. And she sees that and sort of, you know, so she's sort of reflecting on. Because what there's this whole hack, hackneyed speech about, my, well, maybe Michael, when he was standing there looking out the window, was looking at himself, at his right. reflection. And, and honestly, I, I kind of like it. And it, I kind of like the shot of I Michael. I do too. I, I think it, it, is, it is hackneyed and sort of uh, on the nose, but I think like it's it works and makes sense. And so she sort of has the moment and they do at least use some visual storytelling where she sort of has the moment of seeing that image of him up in the, up in there. And then that sort of draws her to that, to his old room uh, where she goes up and just to kind of look and see what, I guess, see what he's seen or seen through the window or whatever. And in the very end of the movie, you are sort of intercut with Michael Myers sort of giving one of his patented Michael Myers surges and fighting back yeah. against the mob, killing them all. Uh, and even though he's been shot multiple times and, and stabbed multiple times, and I think it was even took some kind of head trauma or something. He took a she, pitchfork she, to the back. He took yeah. Aaron st stomping his head on the stairs. Yeah. And he, um, and then, so she goes up to his room and, and then like sort of, you realize that this, these things are being intercut but are happening, you know, sort of not as close together as you think. He's up there and kills her, kills Judy Greer's character, and is sort of takes, he returns to his place in his room, staring at the window. Um, it's like an, undiable, an yeah. undeniably bold move. I yeah. don't, I mean, I think this is, I always have a problem with horror movies getting so doomy about stuff. I love downbeat horror movies, but when they sort of seem really into their own, like, you know, uh, Grim Dark, look at me. Does it offend you? Yeah, is what yeah, I Yeah, yeah, you know, like, oh, there's no getting away from it. But at least this movie's actually trying to be about that. And having her get killed is really pretty nasty. I mean, it's very clear, you know, it's like a clear rebuke to like, she joined in on that mob and where did that get her? She, you know, was still sort of ends up dead, but it's really, I mean, she's, you know, a really empathetic character. She's the mother they need of this. The stakes. Yeah, they need the stakes up to, for Lori to kill him and be, yeah, I understand just, what you're saying. It's, but it's yeah. really, mis like the, the idea that Lori's daughter has now been killed and that Allison's mom has, both, both her parents are now killed separately. And her boyfriend. And her boyfriend all killed. Oh, her boyfriend gets it really bad by Michael. Yeah. Just like head trauma, <laughs> neck trauma. Yeah. There's so much head clunking. Also, it's really nasty. Uh, in addition to all the bad dialogue that like is kind of cringy but works in a thematic way, there's a lot of um, just people making insane decisions throughout. Like even with like, of course, Cameron's dad leaving them in the car and going in is dumb in itself. But then when 
Cameron and Allison go inside, they immediately separate from each other, knowing that Michael's in there. And it's just like, and they grab like little knives. And I'm just like, I know this is like suspension of disbelief for horror movie stuff. And I shouldn't, it shouldn't bother me. But when the movie's also bothering me on so many other fronts, it did bother me. Um, and maybe it bothered me less this time. But like all the through lines we talked about and like the where it ends with him in the window. And like, I just, I really talked myself into liking this. Like I, I, I'm definitely mixed, but like I'm mixed to positive more than mixed to negative now. Uh-huh. And well, I, I do, you know, I it's do. really when you get down to it, like R- Red Rocket, it's the age old story of a guy coming back to his hometown 40 years later with his tail between his legs after failing to make something of himself. Else. It, is, <laughs> it is that that's that's I mean, that's true. This is a good double feature with Red Rocket. Um, it is. I mean, I think part and part of what I respond to is I think town uh, David Gordon Green has a great sense of like towny rhythms and sort of like it just does feel like a hometown a movie about someone's hometown in a weird way even though it's this made-up town that again has never really existed and i think i probably personally would have come out really chilled but also less a little less sour if we had just had the adult michael staring out of that window at judy greer rather than yeah her getting slaughtered mercilessly by him before the end i get that like then if you kill her in the beginning of the next movie it feels pretty cheap and it is like a big swing to end on with this movie i would have been men more i love i love the cut to title which is halloween kills because what do you interpret the title to mean because unfortunately (laughs) i do think it is like a metaphor of a title yeah oh for sure or about the holiday now being the killer because of this because in haddonfield that's what it is you know what i mean yeah yeah and i I, so i think the movie like as much as i kind of you know I think of the, what I think of my wife and I talk about all the time is uh, the bit in the Simpsons where they're doing dials for focus groups for positive or negative. Yeah. And uh, one of them, one of the guy, one of the executives yells at Ralph Wiggum and he starts to cry, just turns the dial to negative. And I feel every time I have a, every time I have a reaction to a movie where it made me sad, even though I don't think it's artistically bankrupt, I picture myself crying and turning the dial to negative. But, and yes. I, I, my wife and I were definitely talking about, Marissa and I were talking about it afterwards and she felt really pretty sour about that ending because like it's just kind of like well you know the first one ends with this fantastic judy greer pretending to be uh scared out of her mind and and can't do this and then myers goes after her and she gives that great gotcha and like and she's not gets to do that again this time with the like i forget i think it's allison yelling do it do it and then she feels she's yelling to judy greer behind her yeah yeah good good that's great stuff um that i really and And i really like uh andy mad is that her name andy maticek uh yeah she's not um she's not doesn't do a lot here but i really like her no it seems like she's gonna i hope is gonna be doing a lot in the third movie um she and grandmother will go and I love God, was, what the fuck is with the I love that love it, love it, love it that she calls her grandmother all the time. It drives um, me crazy. <laughs> but it is, you know, it's so it's like fitting to have Judy Greer's character sort of horribly punished. Again, I don't think he Gordon thinks that she's evil. It's just like he is recognizing that this is not, you know, this is not whatever the way out of this is, it's not, you know stabbing people lining up to stab a, a guy in the, over and over um but yeah that my dial was turned a little bit to negative yeah. um, i'm just like i didn't want to see this character die i like this character 
with with the ending for me, what I was saying earlier that like it's going into like uh oh, trying to justify Michael as a force of evil territory, which is like it seems like it's trying to like do fo- Halloween four and five stuff really quickly. But I think uh, what okay. you said about Jamie Lee pontificating about just trying to explain it like on a spiritual level, like I think it does work better than those other sequels because it's not ascribing it to some cult of four. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's just like is this town haunted by this now? And it does. Yeah. I don't know. I guess my final statement on this movie is if you're willing to get on its wavelength, if you like the last one, like there's a lot of ifs and buts, Yeah, but I do have a lot of ifs and buts to say that this movie is rich and interesting in a lot of ways that a Halloween sequel, I didn't expect it to be, I guess. And even though it didn't all stick the landing or work for me, I definitely enjoyed it more a second time than the first time. And through this podcast, I think everyone could tell right from the beginning, I've been like, those are all the things I liked about it that work. And like, that's more to be said than any of the ones that I don't like. Yeah, um, yeah. And man, it's just, it's cool to see a movie of this caliber do something so bold, even if most people are going to hate it. Um, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. I'm the box office numbers just came in and I'm fascinated. Oh. Because I was planning, or not planning, I was anticipating a bomb just because word of mouth is bad uh, and it's on Peacock same day. It opened with 4.8 million last night on a Thursday, which is less than the last one. The last one opens with 7.7. So it's a 37% drop. So if you go apples to apples on the weekend, Halloween Kills will gross just under 50 at 48. And the original... 2018 original jesus the 2018 <laughs> will go will have had 76 so a 50 million dollar opening weekend for a movie that's also on peacock would be huge and yeah. these movies yeah. don't cost anything so yeah. again yeah. these movies are successful we haven't seen the last of michael myers even in halloween ends um i i think i, I i'm left with this podcast wanting to go watch it again on the biggest <laughs> screen which is like I, yeah. all you could say yeah, I I just feel like I was thinking a lot about this movie after I saw it, which seems like a silly thing to say about like Halloween two point two two point or whatever, or Halloween three two three point whatever the fuck it is. Um, but I was thinking about it a lot, and it really like I feel like this happens almost every time I go see a David Gordon Green movie that seems like a bad idea, such as The Sitter or the sequel to uh, of, of to sequel to a sequel of Halloween or a movie about the Boston Marathon bombing. Every time I go see one, I'm struck anew by what he's able to do with it. And I'm not saying every one of those movies is perfect and like a misunderstood masterpiece or anything like that. Certainly the sitter is not like a great movie <laughs> or, you know, this is not the, like the best Halloween movie ever made, but I always find his movies interesting and coming from a specific point of view. And even when they sometimes are get a little sloppy in the execution, they're always to me, you know, well thought out and, and fully felt. Uh, and I just think he's a really interesting filmmaker. And I was surprised how few reviews I should read some more because I'm sure some people have received this more as a green movie, but so many of the reviews I read seemed to be like, had the kind of consumer guide. How does this rate among the Halloweens? You know, this is a slasher. Yeah, sequel. No, for sure. Well, that's probably why I was been out of shape about it too, for a minute. Cause I'm like, I'm always thinking of the fans and the Halloweens first. Sure, but like, sure. if, well, I mean, definitely the key to unlocking this movie is a watching it as a David Gordon Green film and like interpreting it as such and kind of divorcing it from Halloween or you just watch it normally, but you got to turn on the main character syndrome switch. <laughs> and once that thread comes through, I think it's I think it's interesting. Um, 
and man, it also delivers the kills. I think I'm gonna go ahead and give my give it a three next time oh, I yeah time I watch the podcast it. bump. <laughs> the podcast bump. Well, I'm glad to be in on record at the time it came out as you know where I am now, and that I watched it twice, and that I don't have to do a referendum where I say no, it's actually good because from the beginning I was like it's not good, but it is kind of good. Uh-huh. So it's all it's all there. Um, okay. This is the last episode. No, it's not. Jesse and I are recording another episode before I get married, but none of them are coming out until after. So well, this, this is this one, you're getting married next week, right? This yes, will come this out one's before. coming out before I get married. Then the next episode that comes out will have been recorded in the past, Ooh. but will be after I get have been married. So there will be no all that to say. Congratulations <laughs> to me. Yeah, and, and there won't be a gap in your listening because there is Halloween kills followed by, I think we still have cult of Chucky drop. And then we have the remake and then I think I'm back baby. So uh, I think we're all good. Enjoy all these uh, future episodes. I hope you enjoyed Halloween kills or at least found it interesting or at least got a new appreciation for it or hated it less after listening. (laughs) Uh, if you haven't watched it yet, how dare you have listened to this? But it's on Peacock. <laughs> I want to hear from people too. I'm like, you know, people who like are into oh, horror yeah. movies. I'm be fascinated to hear what they think of this. I so. have been talking about this movie nonstop since I saw it, which is, you know, always a good sign. Um, I guess does, did I like this more than 2018? I think I maybe now I have. I don't know. Ooh. But like before, I jokingly tweeted like a ranking of the Halloween twos, and I was like, uh-huh. Halloween two zombie over Halloween two eighty one over this one. But then I upended my whole fucking thing by talking about how, well, is it a Halloween 2? It's really a Halloween 3. It's also a middle part. So I'm not even going to do that laborious exercise uh, (laughs) and rank them. But Halloween Kills is out. And one thing I wanted to mention, because a lot of people have been uh, uh, wrong on this, including myself, they didn't film Halloween Ends already. Uh, oh, really? I think everybody thought it was a back-to-back. I thought it was a back-to-back. It was described as such. But it never happened. Uh, Halloween Kills filmed in late 2019 and then COVID happened is what happened. So I think it was going to be quickly back to back, like maybe a little break and then another another 30 day shoot or whatever. But it didn't happen. And the guy who plays Michael Myers just revealed at a con that it's fil- it's going to start filming in January of 2022. Oh, holy uh, shit. I really thought it was done. I know. Everybody did. And I had to dig to find this stuff. But David Gordon Green... Uh, Buddy Disgusting just put up a piece that's basically just like David Gordon Green confirmed that the script is now done. It's just now done. And uh, John Carpenter is taking his first look at it now. So, yeah, I am also surprised to hear that because it's been conceived as a trilogy since this first one opened big, if not before that. And they definitely talked about it as they were doing kills or pre-production on kills that it would shoot back to back with ends and it seems like all signs point to it did not and um the script is only now being done etc so i had to mention that because i keep seeing everyone talk about ends um as if it's done including myself and it is not so halloween ends apparently films january 22 for a release next year around the same time and apparently that one won't be on peacock uh and you know what I think they'll be fine based on this opening day number. It's insane. This movie is going to make like 50 million with a Peacock debut. So I'm going to say this is the rare. It's going to be Halloween 76, 
Halloween kills 50-ish. Halloween ends back at like 76 box office. That's my prediction. Um, uh-huh. All right. And you can subscribe to Patreon where Jesse and I will hopefully find time at some point to talk about the New York Film Festival stuff and other movies that aren't horror and other stuff. Please, you know, forgive me if there's a gap in the Patreon while I'm on my honeymoon. <laughs> don't don't unsubscribe. There'll be good stuff when I get back. Um, and that's all. Halloween Kills. Out now. We did it. We talked for 90 minutes about Halloween. Woo! Jumping back in to say that I can't believe... I didn't mention John Carpenter's score for this movie enough on this episode. Um, I know I mentioned that it feels like a crutch when it's used in the flashback sequences, but when it's used in the movie and like there's a bunch of new sounds that Carpenter and his son and the, their third collaborator, whose name I don't have in front of me, so I'm, I don't know it. Uh, there's a lot of great new music that is, you know, obviously, even if you don't like the movie and you're a fan of Carpenter, you'll probably love the score. I'm going to close with what I think is the score from the scene with Kyle Richards, which is totally new to my ears, but still in the style of classic Halloween, the classic Halloween theme and the score. God bless John Carpenter. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with uh, finishing off the Chucky series and whatnot. And then we'll be back with uh, Last Night in Soho and what other other whatever other horror movies are coming out uh, at the end of the month. We'll get to those probably a week or two late, but we'll get to them. I also have to mention how good this movie did at the box office this weekend because we were all, well, not all. (laughs) Some people probably predicted it would do well. I definitely thought the Peacock thing would eat into it and the fact that it had bad word of mouth, but I'm eating all those words because Halloween Kills opened with 50.4 million opening weekend, which is huge. It's not quite the biggest thing since the pandemic, but that is, that's almost akin to the same opening that James Bond just had. So Michael Myers has the same amount of box office power as James Bond. That's incredible. You know, the uh, Halloween 2018 made like 70-something opening weekend, but that was a huge, we're bringing back Laurie Strode marketing push. And this one had the, you know, delay, the more than a year delay from COVID to get people excited and Everyone's known about this movie as part of a planned trilogy. I think it just goes to show that horror audiences always show up. They always do. Even Candyman, to a lesser degree, did very well. Uh, So get excited for Halloween ends. It will be theatrical only. Will my prediction pan out? Will it make more than Halloween Kills did? I think it might. Stay tuned. (laughs) That'll be in like a year. Okay, here's that John Carpenter song I promised. Bye.
much. I've learned that death is not the end of the new flesh. Long live the new flesh. I was hoping you'd be back.